Hello, and welcome to this episode of Bite Back Chats Books, where we chat to Dr. Sarah Louise Miller. Sarah is an experienced historian, researcher, author, educator, and media consultant specializing in Second World War history. She is particularly interested in recovering the hidden histories of women. Her new book, The Woman Behind the Few, explores the Second World War from the perspective of the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. These are the women working behind the scenes to collect and disseminate vital intelligence, intelligence that resulted in Allied victory. Today, we want to chat about some of the heroic stories featured in the book and understand why these women have so often been ignored in the mainstream narrative about British wartime intelligence. Hi, Sarah. Great to have you on this episode of Bite Back Chats Books. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And we're very excited about your new book. Um, And I reckon we could just get cracking when talking about um, some of the amazing women and stories that are in it and um, how you came to love this period of history. So you say a quarter of a million women served in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. And it's estimated that without their contribution, the RAF would have required around 150,000 extra men to function at the same level. So I wonder, why have these women not been written about before? I think that there is a tendency to see uh, women as kind of a separate type of history. Um, It's kind of seen as peripheral to military and war history. Um, And I mean, the Women's Auxiliary Air Force literally has the word auxiliary in the title, which I've looked at that word to kind of see what the impact of that was. And it, 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 it means supplementary. So there is this kind of general misunderstanding and maybe even mythology around what women did and what it meant. And I think that it's very easy to look at women and say, how can they be included in military history? We, when we think of military and soldiers, we think of men. That's just the way it is. Um, and it's even even more tricky with women in intelligence work, um, because if you do intelligence work well, it's supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to stay hidden. Um, and it turns out that women were actually very good, good at keeping secrets, which has unfortunately had the kind of byproduct of um, relegating them to a hidden section of history. And then you throw, throw into that mix, you've got the misunderstanding of what they did. A lot of the time it looked like clerical work. It sounded like clerical work. I mean, mm-hmm. the term clerk special duties was given to women in intelligence. It's a clerk. It sounds like a, a, a desk job, which it is, but there's there's a lot of misunderstanding. And it's something that the intelligence historian Christopher Andrew has referred to as the missing dimension. So intelligence in military history is the mil- missing dimension. And then inside of that, you've got another missing dimension, and that dimension is women. I can see how you mean that it's sort of spoken out as an another form of history. It's not the mainstream. And I feel like it's definitely being spoken about more, um, especially with your book now coming out. And there is definitely a lack of discussion around the military dimension. I feel like that you've loved this period of history for a while. Um, was there a particular story or was there a particular person that inspired you to delve deeper into World War II history? There definitely was. It was quite funny, actually, because um, when I was doing my undergraduate degree, I had planned to do my third year dissertation on the Boston Tea Party. And then I went to the Imperial War Museum 
Um, and they had an exhibition called Secret War. Mm. And I noticed some things in that exhibition, some items, including a dress and a bloodstained satchel that clearly had belonged to a woman. Read the kind of information next to them and it turned out that they'd belonged to a woman called Yvonne Cormeau. She had been a clandestine agent in occupied France um, and she she's just incredible. She got shot in the leg while trying to escape arrest by the Germans, hence the, wow. the dress with the bullet hole and the bloodstained satchel. Mm. She'd managed to convince a German roadblock that she was a medic carrying an X-ray machine, that it wasn't, in fact, a wireless set that she was using to send secret information back to Britain. And I was just hooked. And I thought, mm. I can't do my dissertation on the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> I need to do it on these women. Um, so I did. And I noticed along the way that a number of them were WAFs. Mm. And it just got me so interested in, in women's military and intelligence history. So I then did my Master's of Philosophy, which became this book. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a massive thesis. And now it's a book and I get to share it with the world. So that's really exciting. Exactly. And you must have been in your research for this book. You must have been to some amazing places or met some phenomenal women. Yeah, I've been all over. I've had some adventures in the last few years mm. and I've met some very wonderful people all the way from veterans to archivists who are the keepers of this kind of history. Um, you often don't get very far in places like the National Archives if you really want to look at the subjective and lived experience of women in these roles, which is what I'm very interested in. Mm. Um, so I did I did start in the National Archives, you have to, with this kind of history, but it, it got challenging and, and I had to get kind of creative. So that meant looking in um, other places like the Imperial War Museum Archives is quite good for subjective um, history and then places like Bletchley Park who have the role of honour um, of people who have served there and their memories and then it gets really really fun when you start working with smaller collections who are run by individuals and groups of people that just feel really strongly often volunteers that they need to preserve this history so that was places like the Medmenham Collection Archive for Aerial Intelligence, the Military Intelligence Museum, Borsey Radar Trust, Bentley Priory Museum and some of these are locations where WAF actually served so okay. Danesfield House is now a hotel a very nice hotel and we recently went there to do some filming on the WAF who worked there in photographic intelligence places like the Battle of Britain bunker which is now a museum absolutely fascinating place and um, they've got the the operations room down there where these WAF actually worked and then talking to individuals so with Faye Faye Gillen uh she came to my attention because the nephew of one of 617 squadron's members so an actual dam buster um, his nephew contacted me and said, do you know about Faye? Um, and I, I came to know about Faye through that kind of chance encounter through his blog. She was uh, a crew interrogator, right? Faye was an intelligence officer and bomber crew interrogation was one of the things that it, that these women had to do, intelligence officers in bomber command. And that was quite a tricky job um, mm. because, you know, the, the high rate of loss with bomber command, you've got sometimes half the crew coming back that went out and they're shaken they've seen planes go down with their mates on they're in a bad way a lot of the time they're tired um so so Faye was one of the the women tasked with the challenge of interrogating them just to get every kind of piece of possible information that might be useful but also de trying to deal sensitively with the state that they were in and uh 
you mentioned earlier that there were certain prejudices against these women and people had lesser expectations of them. There's an extraordinary thing that they would never go under dental anesthesia because they were worried they spill secrets. Can you just tell us about a bit of this prejudice the women faced? Yeah, there was clear resistance, actually, to mobilising women in a military fashion. They had done it in World War One in Britain, mm. and then they were, they were disbanded after the war because it's uncomfortable. This period of history was separate spheres kind of ideas, yeah. where women exist in the home to nurture and men exist to go out into the world and, if necessary, be the fighters and the life takers. And when you upset the status quo like that, when, when you when it's subversive like that, it's uncomfortable for society in some ways. So reforming the women's military auxiliaries was done out of sheer necessity from the manpower issues they knew they'd face in another war. And it wasn't always done gladly. So there are accounts in the book of RAF station commanders who, who did not want these women on their stations and only accepted them under direct orders or when it became absolutely necessary because they didn't have enough men. And the reasons for that were kind of fear of um, women's emotional reactions to being up close to warfare, um, fear of hysteria. You know, there's this idea that they're going to become hysterical and won't be able to handle what war Mm. means. Um, fear that they cannot keep their mouths shut. If you look at the, um, and I do in the book, if you look at the propaganda at the time, you've got the keep mum, she's not so dumb poster that we've all seen. There's this idea that they just either by accident or on purpose will blab. Mm. Um, And that's going to put the RAF and and the British and allied war efforts in danger. So there's this general idea that they're just not up to this work. They're not capable of keeping it as secret as it needs to be. Um, and that they're they're not going to prove useful in these roles. And and you just mentioned the anaesthesia. I mean, the actual truth of the matter is that all of that was unfounded and it was wrong. Mm. And you did get WAF who who had to have dental procedures done and they would not undergo anaesthetic um, because they were worried they'd accidentally blab or, you know, promising each other that they would make sure there was no talking in their sleep when they slept in dorms. Um, so really, uh, those expectations, though they're understandable, perhaps at the time, are are not not fair, really. Yeah, I can see that. And how about Eileen Clayton's story was a, a phenomenal. I mean, she um, was the first WAF member to be commissioned for intelligence duties um, when she was promoted to officer rank in July 1940. Uh, could you tell our listeners a bit about her story? Eileen is fascinating. She is an amazing woman Um, and she worked with the Y service. So the Y service is is the Y listening service and its role through various stations around Britain and and other areas that Britain uh, was was moving and effective in um, was to intercept enemy radio transmissions, um, make a note of the content of those transmissions and get that information to Bletchley Park. So we Mm. all know about Bletchley Park, common knowledge nowadays, um, but we don't know about the Y service on the whole. And that's a shame because Bletchley would have had nothing to work on without the Y service, or certainly much less. Eileen worked with the Y service for the WAF. So the Y service had different branches according to different military services. And she obviously worked with the Air Force one. Um, And she worked with her WAF colleagues to intercept transmissions that were from the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force. So it would be air to air, air to ground, 
So pilots talking to each other, talking to their commanders back in Germany, um, which is obviously useful information if you can get into it, because it's going to give you things like, um, you know, perspective locations for attacks, intentions, capabilities of the Luftwaffe. And that's very useful to mm. the RAF. Um, Eileen had some interesting um, experiences and one of my favorite stories about her was um, when a chap who happened to be her superior, a male RAF officer, was working with her and there was a bombing raid going over, which WAF often had to deal with that work, danger. And he became hysterical and she thought, if the men start to lose it, then everyone's going mm. to. Um, so she slapped him hard in the face. Um, and, you know, he's her superior officer, but she she needed to kind of shut it down there and then his meltdown. Yeah. So she slapped him uh, and it worked and he <laughs> composed himself and she never heard, she was worried she might, you know, it might be repercussions, but they never mm. were. Um, and another more sad occasion, Eileen speaks in her book, which is a fascinating read for anyone mm. interested in this kind of work. Um, she speaks about how she realized one day that the work that they were doing directly led to deaths of German people mm. and how that was a difficult realization to be essentially responsible for the deaths of other human beings. And there was one particular occasion where she and her team passed the location of a pilot that they'd heard quite frequently. They got to know the voices of some of the people um, on the airwaves yeah. and passed his location to the RAF and he was shot down and she could hear him um, falling from the sky, basically, in his aircraft. And she heard him screaming for his mother. Oh, God. And it really affected her. Mm. Um, and she kind of went outside and took a moment to compose herself. But the point is, as horrific as that is, she carried on and she came mm. back and did her job. And, and I think the RAF had been concerned that women wouldn't just wouldn't be able to do that. And highly, yeah. very clear proof, as um, Rosia acknowledged, that that just wasn't true and that they were made of much tougher stuff than mm. had been. Definitely. I can see um, sort of beating those expectations of them. Um, and another woman that definitely did that was the constant Babington Smith story. Um, and I mean, it's those horrid moments where um, you say Eileen heard uh, that guy falling through the sky. But I mean, Constance saved millions, of, hundreds of people from dying with the against the deadly V weapons. Um, would you mind telling us a bit about that story? So there's so many to delve into, but just get yeah. a few select for us. There are some some stories to pick from. Constance is, is another very interesting story. So she worked at RAF Medmenham, which was the home of photographic interpretation and intelligence. So they're basically looking at literally millions of surveillance photos yeah. that have been taken, reconnaissance photos that have been taken over occupied areas. Um, and that is difficult. Have, I don't know if you've mm. ever seen an aerial photo, but it's not like a regular photo. And, and it, yeah. it takes a lot of practice and training because things just look like blobs and circles and mm. rectangles. Um, so there there were these, these objects appearing on the photos that nobody could really kind of make out or get their heads around. And you do have a lot of scientific development going on in a time of war. So you expect to see things you don't recognize. But she did notice something odd on some photos um and combined with intelligence from other sources there was some kind of idea that there might be a new german weapon um on its way 
she took the information she thought that's what it was a new weapon she took it to male colleagues who dismissed it pretty quickly as lake dredging equipment okay um but she wasn't convinced and continued to work on it with her team um mm. very much a combined effort including WAF and RAF um and she just worked and worked until she managed to identify it positively as a V1 launch ramp with a V1 weapon sat on it, aimed wow. at London. Yeah. So if she'd given up when she was told not to worry about it, then mm. we may not have identified those weapons in time to eradicate them. And actually having identified them, the RAF and the, the USAAF were able to take out uh, most, if not all, of those sites before they could launch their full intended payload at London. And my mm. grandmother was injured. She was a child during the Second World War. She was injured running from a V1, and she told me how utterly terrifying it was to hear them coming over. Mm. She had a scar on her knee for the rest of her life from running from one, and oh, it's wow. just it's it's, it, it's mind blowing to think how many more of them would have caused that kind mm. of terror if Constance had listened and given up when she was told to. Exactly. So for the listener, the V weapons were ones that suddenly cut out of noise. Is that correct? Yeah, my grandmother said you, it was okay if you could hear them, but the second you couldn't, that was when it got really scary and you Ooh, had to yeah. just dive under anything you could. <laughs> Absolutely. God, I mean, they're all phenomenal stories. And um, I suppose if you might have a favourite one or not, if you could be a flower on the wall in any of these stories that you write about in the book, where would it be and why? I think, you know, I I love all of them, but there is one that I would definitely choose. I would love to be a fly in the aircraft that Faye Gillen flew in with the Dambusters on the practice oh, road. Oh, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't pick the chance to fly with 617 Squadron at 60 feet? Exactly. Um, and I think that her her description of that flight is just a fascinating, very different, and very interesting perspective of a piece of history that we all think we know. Mm. Um, and I think that it would just be wonderful to, to kind of feel what she felt and... Um, she makes it very clear what she felt in the lovely passage mm. that we've managed to put in the book. Um, so she, that would be my fly on the wall experience. Yeah, it's a great story. It's been delightful having you on. And your book is out on the 9th of March. Um, thank you so much for being um, on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bite Back podcast. The women behind the few, the Women's Auxiliary Air Force and British Intelligence during the Second World War, is out on the 9th of March. Head to the Bite Back website to use exclusive 20% off code FEW20. And whilst you're there, dive into some of our online Q&As with authors. And do get in touch with us on Twitter with your questions or queries at Bite Back Pub.